1: Light years. Andy Liu, currently en route to Coachella. Sources say he will be chiming in on our post-game show after Game 1. The amount of time uh, he's on air uh, is to be determined by uh, his state. But uh, putting that aside, I got sitting again helping us preview the Warriors Nuggets series from DNVR, Adam Mars. Adam, how you doing?
2: I'm good, man. I got to admit, I'm I'm bummed Andy's not here. I've never met him. I've never talked to him before, you know, other than online or what have you. And he always cracks me up. So um, shouts to him.
1: Catch him next time. The intrigue is what is what keeps people engaged. I have a theory with Andy because he's not always the easiest person to get in some situations. It keeps you keeps you intrigued like where this guy comes out of nowhere with uh, with a troll comment to just work everyone up and then just disappears. It's, That's, it's, it's the
2: George Costanza theory, right? Yeah. You just like you got to leave early.
1: Always leave early, right Right as you hit on top. Absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the Warriors news and then we'll get to the series here. So um, media availability today, Steph spoke, uh, said his foot's still a little sore, but he felt good. Overall, the tone was positive and optimism that he'll play in game one. The one anecdote is Kerr said if he does play, there will 100% be a minutes restriction. Would not disclose what that is. My guess is – (laughs) 48 minutes. Yeah. My guess is 30. Based on like other times he's come back from injuries in the playoffs, it's 30. If it was a regular season game, I'm sure it would be like 25 or something like that. But um, it seems like it will truly be a game-time decision. But any way you slice it – I'm getting the impression he's going to probably be on a minutes restriction the first two games, and then they get a couple extra days with the the travel to Denver, Game Three, yeah. Game Four. I don't know. What are what are your thoughts? How do, how does this make you feel from the Nuggets perspective? I mean, I think Steph's going full LeBron here.
2: We're setting the narrative, though. Oh, my God, it's so bad. I got a minute. <laughs> restri- he's going to break the minutes re- after the game. Steve Kerr is going to be like, you know, it was a 10 minute minute restriction, but he played 38 and it just was a heroic thing here. Um, look, I think he's playing. I think he's probably going to be all right. He's going to be healthy. And the thing that's cool about Steph is he's this is true of a handful of players, but it's especially true of him he doesn't even have to play well to be effective. Like just his presence is the thing that is like 80% of his value is his presence. And uh, actually it's probably not that much, but it's a lot. And so he'll play, he'll be effective. And um, even if he's on a minutes restriction, it, 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 it only helps Denver, I think so much.
1: Yeah. And um, in general, it's, they're they're using this first round like this is probably disrespectful to nuggets but they've said it the whole way through it's like they have to figure stuff out in round one which is kind of <laughs> a
0: weird way to yeah. ride
1: into the playoffs but there's they don't really have another choice the game that draymond oh, no the second game after draymond came back when he was on a minutes restriction marcus smart rolled up on steph's foot so they've truly not had right. their full squad all year we're Warriors subsequently playing the one team who will have no pity for them with such situation. I guess, what is your outside view of this Warriors team? Because I feel like their season has been like four separate seasons in one, like, like, yeah, for sure. You know, best team in the league at one point, free fall at another, and then somewhere in the middle at other points. No, that's the only reason I'm out on them. I think
2: there was a point first week of January or something where I I think I declared the warriors that I'm like, I I think I'm picking the warriors. I think I'm in, I think that they're the team right around the time they were picking themselves, uh, you know, saying that they were going to do it. I just watched them the way they lock in. I've seen Phoenix lock in like that. I've seen Boston lock in like that. And last year, of course we saw the bucks do it, but nobody else, like nobody else reaches that level where the rotations on the defensive end are, are on point offensively. They're on point. The big question is, As you mentioned, I think it's been 11 minutes that the big three has played together now. And that's three years, obviously, you know, going back two seasons of not playing together, but 11 minutes this year. So the question is just, we know that it's going to be like riding a bike in some aspects. Like, okay, they know what to do. They did this long enough, but it's just how long does that rust last? And the fact that they are talking, because I'm with you, I've heard these comments. The fact that they're talking about the first round as a tune-up gives me confidence that they feel the margin for error is pretty wide.
1: Yeah, and for me, it's not that I don't think Steph, Clay, and Draymond can figure out how to play together within a game. It's every other piece around them. Like, Uh Jordan Poole has not played with those three guys together. Andrew Wiggins is not. And then so the only two guys who have are Looney and Iguodala. And at this point, Andre just is kind of the bench unit's uh, Draymond Green. He's still really effective at it, but, like, as we saw this season – I just don't know how many minutes per game he can really give you. You know, it's better like give yeah. you high impact in 15 ish minutes a game than try to extend him and chase you know past glories. Right. Um, and then Looney's the same thing. Uh, good at what he does, like very good at what he does, but like offensively limited. How many minutes can you play him next to Draymond? And so it's just fitting all these players who haven't played around them. That's what I'm. That's what I'm curious about. I think it's for me, it's pool. I mean, he's my X factor in
2: all of this, but he has been given a lot of freedom, you know, over this last season in terms of like, he, he sometimes tries some really tricky stuff. He's so quick with the ball. He'll, he'll go, he'll play really aggressive. And I think the hard part is going to be, he just gets bumped down in the pecking order a little bit. And how do you keep maintain that aggressiveness while picking your spots a little bit less? That's one of the questions I have. I think he's killed Denver this year. I mean, he's kind of taken on the Steph Curry role in some of the games where Curry wasn't available or clay wasn't available. He's taken over that role and he did a good job of it, but he, he has to be Jordan Poole again now. And I, I, there could be a little bit of a hiccup there, especially if the series doesn't start in the Warriors favor.
1: Yeah. And in that last game, which the Warriors won against the nuggets, um, he was the one who hit the big shots down the stretch. I want to say, you guys were trapping Steph or sending two bodies at him the whole way. And I mean, that's what basically everyone does, but right. Pool is finally pool's the only other guy on the roster who can create a shot off the dribble. So if you're gonna give him a four on three, it's pretty advantageous for him. And he took advantage right. of it against that Denver game. That's kind of why I consider him the most important player outside of the core on this team, because the farther this warriors team goes, it's just like they need to have more offense around Steph. They can't go with the Steph Clay, and then you put like someone like Wiggins, who's you know he he's become a really good catch and shoot player, but like anytime he puts the, right. the ball on the floor to win for the defense and then like Looney, I mean, come on, man, you know, that sort of right, stuff. Right. Like they need someone in there who can kind of counter when teams kind of send the kitchen sink at staff. And the thing that sucks about Denver is, I mean, Austin Rivers is a really good defender. He, right. He's going
2: to be good. I think he's going to start by game two or three. He'll be playing. If not starting, he'll be playing 33, 34 minutes a night and closing the game. But He's great. He's going to guard one of them. That means Monte Morris, Will Barton is going to be on whoever's left out. That's Clay Thompson. That's Jordan Pool in a lot of configurations, and that's it's not just that's that's a huge advantage I think for Jordan Pool. Like he's really slippery, and Denver struggles with quickness um, more than anything. They struggle with quickness. So him running downhill, to your point, that's that's a large reason of why I think Denver's going to have a really hard time in this series. The Golden State, part of why I think teams think Denver as as a, a tune up, if you go up against a good offense, bad defense, in the playoffs you always feel like we could lock in. Guys are going to miss. Right. They're going to get a little bit tighter, this or that. If you go up against a good defense, bad offense, it's like, man, what if we can't score? There's nothing scarier than getting in a playoff series where you score 18 points in a quarter, 16 in the next. Go through the
1: five-minute stretch where you don't put anything in the basket. Yeah, no, it's the worst. And
2: it's just tough. In Denver, I just it, it's so hard to envision them holding the Warriors to a low point total. I mean, it might only be 110. Denver can play better than what they've played this year but it's not going to be one of those games where game one warriors come out and score 86 points and they start questioning what they have to change. I just, I don't think Denver at their best is going to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Jordan pool, a name uh, that's been thrown around about our listeners. So like I, one of the more popular topics is kind of what is Jordan pool ceiling? Um, you know, his, mm. his rookie year was awful and he came on pretty well at the end of, year two looked like he could be a legitimate six man. And at this point, I mean, he looks like an NBA starter and one with, with upside a popular name that uh, some of our listeners like to compare him to is Jamal Murray. Um, Obviously I can't think of anyone else uh, more qualified to speak on that. So you've watched Jordan pull a little bit here. Do you see that kind of upside in him? I definitely don't see that upside as a player. I mean, Jamal Murray
2: is, he's so, um, for, for starters, he's six foot five. I mean, he's really big. He's really strong, too. He's six five, what, 220 or something like that. He's a pretty big bodied guy. Yeah. And he uses that to his advantage. And number two, um, Jamal Murray is really jittery. Like he's really good, like left, right, you know, he's like a joystick, right? He has these really, but he's not really explosive, meaning he's not like north, south really quick. And Jordan Poole to me is. he He kind of goes, he has a nice little like rejects the screen a lot and then gets yeah. downhill really quickly. And Jamal is just a little, it's a different type of athleticism. So physically they're just too different for me to comp their play styles because Jamal, he's slower than most point guards, but stronger and 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 he's jittery. But Jordan pulls like sleeker and slippier, slip, slippier. Slipper. Yeah, yeah. More slippery? Slippier.
1: More slippery. Slipperier. Slippery. There, there go. we go. <laughs> um, okay. That makes sense. I mean, it's uh, just putting into context uh, pools 22 right now. Um, Jamal Murray would have been 22, two seasons ago. So we're talking about bubble year.
2: it was at the, that was the bubble. two years ago is the bubble year. He, I think he was 23 for that season. So it would have been one more year. Sure. The thing that's weird about Jamal is he obviously the bubble was fantastic. I mean, two 50 point games and a 40, I think a 45 point game in, in, you know, two rounds of the playoffs, but then he's been, he's so up and down. Like he had a bad, he followed that up with a bad start the following season. Mm -hmm. And then right before he got hurt, he was playing the best basketball of the regular season part of his career for about two months. So for me, I, part of, when I look at the the Nuggets, I think Jamal Murray was really played great in the biggest moments. And at his best, I'm certain that guy was like a Devin Booker caliber guard, in my opinion, two years ago. Right. But he was never consistent. And it was one of those questions where we all just assumed he was going to become that. But he never proved that. So I'm a little almost skeptical of what, is
1: he an 82-game guy or is he a kind of a big-game player guy? Yeah, I was going to say he always – Whenever uh, I watch him play in big games, I'm like, wow, this guy's all-star talent. Like, he's special. Then I right. go look at his numbers. I'm like, yep. oh, 19 yeah. points a game, 19, 19 four right. and four, right? That type of thing. So it's like, I don't know. In some ways, I, I feel like that's also how I feel about Clay Thompson. You know, Klay right. um, has a propensity to come up huge in big moments and definitely isn't afraid of the moment. But then, you know, you look at the box score, you're like, all right, it's, you know, it's not, you know, it, this isn't, uh, he isn't putting up video game numbers on the consistent. Right. Um, On the Jamal Murray note, is he going to play this series? I I highly
2: doubt it. I mean, there's always a chance. The the skinny on him has been that, you know, I think he's been cleared in some capacity medically for a while. I mean, six, maybe four weeks or – I'm sorry, six, maybe eight weeks he's been clear in this, hey, everything looks good. When you feel good, kind of come back. And he's gotten into shape. He's been working out. I've heard accounts of, hey, actually looks fantastic in these workouts. We've seen him do some of these dunks where you look at it and you go – athletically, he's doing things that look like prime Jamal Murray, like these very impressive movements. Um, But he just – the reason Denver doesn't provide an update, even today you talk to Michael Malone, he says the door is not slammed shut on that. We're just going to wait and play it day by day, and Jamal will come back when he's ready, is I think the whole team is just waiting for him to say I'm back. And I think the Clay Thompson injury, obviously last year, I'm sure sticks out to him. I know those guys have talked, and and he's one of the guys that he reached out to for advice on – On getting back. And I just think that it's one of those things where he's trying to weigh the risk reward of risk. Could you injure yourself? And how much would you be mad at yourself if you lost another season versus the reward of Denver has a two time MVP in the prime of his career? What would it mean for you to skip out on a chance to go to the playoffs with that guy? So he could come back. I I honestly think it's just going to be one of those things where he watches the game and either decides I'm in or I'm out.
1: Yeah. I'm even looking here, Tim Conley yesterday. It's just, I wouldn't be surprised at all when Jamal (laughs) feels like he's ready. He's going to sprint out there. He's in the red zone of return to play. It's totally up to him. Once we give him certain assurances that you look good physically, we've told him throughout the entire process, you pass these certain lines. It's on you to tell. I mean, it's, it's rough. I, I get it. It's like, you really don't want your first game back in 12 months to be in the playoffs. Yeah. At the site of the crime too, at
2: Chase Center, which is where he went down, which adds an I have to imagine it adds a little bit of a psychological burden to say, hey, that's where I got injured. Um, But those comments, it's funny because this has been a two month process where everybody was kind of tracking the, hey, how's he look, this or that. And it's slowly gone from, you know, whenever he's back, but we're not going to rush to almost more forceful of like, hey, we're just waiting on him. I don't know. And so that's why these comments have gotten almost more on the nose about what exactly is going on. The team is waiting on Jamal to give the green light.
1: Has he spoken to the media or anything? I haven't really heard comments from him. I've just heard Mike Malone give the typical coach's non-answer on this stuff. He has not because until you are back, you don't have to talk to the media. Oh, and right. I don't
2: know a player in the world that would not take advantage of that stupid rule.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe he'll announce it on Draymond's podcast before game three. That would <laughs> oh that'd be like the most 2022 thing of all time, right? It really
2: he's, would, man. Team's
1: unaware. He announces it on the player <laughs> of the opposition's podcast. Yeah.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
1: I think this is the longest anyone's talked about the Nuggets this year without mentioning Jokic. Yeah. So it's a record. Yeah. So let's let's uh let's go there. Um, I want you to make the case. When Steph went hurt, he was officially done with being in the MVP conversation. And honestly, he was pretty much out of the running by the time he got hurt. If he got really hot at the end of the year and they stole the two seed, I'm I'm sure I could see a scenario where he swings slate votes, but kind of the way his season was, I mean. He wasn't really anyone's consideration anyway. Right. But this seems this seems like one of the more contentious MVP races I can remember in the last few years. Gotta go back to the Steph Harden level of like online animus for me to seeing this sort of thing. So why do you think Jokic is the MVP?
2: Well, first of all, I'm so sick of the MVP, man. Like, I, I've recused myself from this largely. Um, only people I trust will I have this conversation <laughs> with. So, so you're you're in, uh, Sam. You're in the club if I'm actually going to even comment on this. But just because you're right, it has been so contentious, and I just it's one of those things where basketball is great because it is such a great mixture of individual and team brilliance. And the MVP conversation just swings the way we look at that in such a wrong direction. Like, just a, such an overwhelming, like it's just about the guy and not about the team. I think Steph and Jokic are two of my favorite players of all time. They're easily my two favorite players of this era, and they both have one thing in common: is that they are at their best when they are collaborative. And I think, I mean, that's the famous line, right? Is a collaborative, shout
1: out, Dave Yeah, <laughs>
2: collaborative, collaborative superstar. I think Jokic's. We can go through all the numbers, both the advanced numbers and the regular numbers. We can go over the craziest stat, which is that they hit their over, even though that line was set under the assumption that Michael Porter would play the whole season and that Jamal Murray would be back with, you know, 20 games under his belt. Right. Neither of those things happened. They still hit their over. That's pretty impressive. But the thing that I would say about Yoke, I think he is the best two man game player in the NBA by a wide margin. And what I mean by that is everybody thinks about the MVP in terms of, just like Kevin Durant's the most dominant, Joel Embiid's the most Give dominant. Give the ball
1: and clear out, yeah. Clear
2: out. And it's like basketball is, that's like 10% of basketball. Like, can you collapse the defense by yourself? For some teams, it's more of it. I mean, Brooklyn plays that style a little bit more than most. Um, but I think what makes Jokic so great is Monte Morris had a career year. Will Barton had a, a good year. Jeff Green scored more, had more dunks. This year at 35 years old than he ever had in his career, he set a record. So did Aaron Gordon. Jokic developed a two-man game with those guys. Bones Highland is a rookie. He became a very, like, efficient scorer when playing alongside Jokic. Austin Rivers, like all these guys, Jokic is one of those players. His gift is that he reads the court, he reads his teammates, he reads the defense, and he figures out, here's where our advantage is, let me run that. And you can watch any given possession, and he'll go from a pick-and-roll with Monte Morris – knowing exactly not just what Monte can do well, but also how to get him that given what the defense has given you. And if that doesn't work, you swing it back to Jokic, and all of a sudden you run into a two-man game with Aaron Gordon. And now it's a completely different set of reads, and then what is the defense doing? So he just maximizes the talent. In my opinion, he maximizes the talent that he has around him, no matter if that's a superstar like Jamal Murray or whether that's just sort of a role player like an Austin Rivers. He just so successfully figures out this is where this guy needs to be I'll put him in that spot, and then on top of that, obviously, he's as an individual
1: scorer, he's pretty unguardable. Um, so I don't, I don't think I've seen him miss that like little face-up eight to ten footer, or right. twelve foot. Like it's just, it's just in every time. I'm, I've never, I, I really don't think he's ever missed it. So
2: it's, it's going to become a big piece of the series because as I'm going through some of the tape here, I, like mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how did Jokic? It's so funny, man. I, I don't know if you've done this at all, but I go back and watch the last time Draymond guarded him, which was last year. So yeah, my, I was
1: about to say, it wasn't this season, so. Yeah,
2: so my my read on this situation is Mulder and Mannion are going to be a big piece of this playoff <laughs> <laughs> Like Like, not, when you're watching the whole film. Mannion can um, not get caught backdoor, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but, and I'll say this, I, Yoke, when he attacks Draymond, because he has obviously some advantages on him, I think most people think, oh, he's just going to, like, barrel his way to the basket. I think he's actually most comfortable just shooting in his, like, in his eye, because Draymond's not tall enough to contest, his shot. And when I was watching him go up against him, it was a lot of that 10 foot face up jumper where he's right. like, yeah, he's too, he's too small to block this.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing. I'm trying to, the Warriors are going to start Looney and Draymond Yeah, um, for better or worse. They're going to do it. I kind of wish they wouldn't. Um, but, you know, Steve Kerr kind of a old school coach with that sort of stuff. And clearly the nuggets best player is their center so he's going to feel it's even more important to start with like his two best frontline defenders um i think as the series goes on though we're just going to see the warriors probably leave draymond in isolation coverage just one on one against jokic with the defense being more about like let him get 40 i just don't want right, him right. to get 15 assists um that's what i would guess the warriors are going to do i don't i don't know if you saw anything different when you were watching film
2: Well, I think they're going to play both. I mean, you mentioned going away from it. Like, Jokic kills Looney. But the thing is, is Jokic kills everybody. And Draymond is as good at anybody as being that second help. You know, like, as soon as he puts the ball on, Draymond's going to blitz him. And then you're going to hope that you can rotate behind him and that Denver can't take advantage of it, which is a great bet. Like, people have said, I've heard this, this argument before about just let Jokic get 40 and zone up. I don't know if that's the right answer here, in large part just because if you do play Draymond at the five, The one thing you have to avoid is foul trouble. And Jokic has gotten a lot better this season at drawing contact. And if Draymond, Draymond gets physical, I mean, he gets away with a lot in large part because he's just so quick. He's always, you know, he's, he he sets the tone. He's a veteran.
1: It's, it's the Chris Paul thing. Like he knows where he can grab and where he can't. And he's
2: given up 60 pounds. And I think it's just human nature for an official to be like, Hey, hey man, like he's so late, he's not having an impact on you, even though he's leaning on you. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's just going to set the tone early. But the flip side of that is can Jokic take advantage of that and draw some fouls on, on Draymond? My guess is that the answer is yes. If you try to play Draymond at center a lot, if you pick your spots, then it's not going to matter. And he could be very effective. So that that's why I think they'll stick with Looney as sort of a sparring partner before draymond gets in the ring
1: yeah and i think the other thing is like look Jokic is going to do what he does when he gets either of them in the half court um mm. but what draymond at five allows you to do is makes it's easier to run um yeah. so if if the warriors can make it more of a transition game and maybe take advantage of denver in that way in that capacity
2: which they absolutely can uh, michael malone framed it really nicely that this is going to be a series that comes down to who, who corrects their mistakes i mean both teams turn it over a lot because they pass a lot yeah um they're at their best when the ball sort of popping. in both teams but i think with denver the warriors can lock in like they have the talent to be able to really spread you thin and those passes get easier denver i don't think can i think part of their turnover problem is that they have to do spectacular things in the half court to score And when you're doing that, you're constantly throwing the ball into double coverage or or driving the ball into double coverage. And I just don't think there's a solution for that outside of maybe Austin River shooting 60 percent from three in the series or something that causes the Warriors to
1: overreact to Denver's lack of spacing. Who's Denver's second most important player in this series, assuming Jamal Murray doesn't come back? I think this one's easy and it
2: kind of surprised me as I got into the film this week. I think it's Aaron Gordon. Because again, I, I have a lot of faith that Yoke's going to have a great series. When I watched them with Draymond last year, the thing that stood out to me was when Draymond guards Jokic, they they're really small, right? They're going to have Andrew Wiggins at the four. Um, Aaron Otto really, Porter, a little bit. Auto yeah. Porter, maybe, yeah. But Aaron Gordon's stronger than both of those guys by quite a big by by quite a bit. Um, Andrew Wiggins can jump with him and run with him, but he's not he's not quite the just the like strength down down on the block. And I think Denver's going to look for Aaron Gordon to sort of take advantage of that, as well as going to Jokic, obviously, against Draymond. But I think they're going to look at that and just say, Wiggins is an important piece. Otto Porter is an important piece. Can you draw fouls there and slow the game down and allow the defense to get set? Can you hit the offensive glass? And can you just sort of continue to attack the rim? When Aaron Gordon puts his mind to it and attacks the rim, he's like really good. He's kind of, he's a really interesting player in that, He's such a two-face. His best is really, really good. You're like, man, this guy, nobody can stay in front of me, almost like a mini Zion, just barreling to the rim and dunking on people. And then sometimes you watch him and he'll take two or three straight step-back mid-rangers and you're thinking, you're one of the worst mid-range step-back shooters in the NBA. Why'd you just take three in a row? But I think it's going to be him. I think he'll be locked in. And I think you always look at a series as that team's best punch versus your best punch. The Warriors, it's going to be with Andrew Wiggins at the four or Otto Porter, to your point. And the question is going to be, can Aaron Gordon convert uh, his matchup there to at least make them second guess how frequently they go there?
1: Yeah, my biggest concern with the Warriors beyond the obvious Steph's health and, um you know, Draymond's health on top of that is how they can rebound when they go small with Wiggins at the four, because like unlike Harrison Barnes, who they had in the past and obviously Kevin Durant, those guys are very comfortable playing the four and in some ways they're pretty much modern fours anyway right and they were good rebounders wiggins i mean he's best at guarding one through three but he never has really rebounded he definitely doesn't rebound in traffic if he gets a seven or eight rebound game it's usually just it's one of those games where the ball is bounced out to him and he's engaged right he's not the one who's like barely in there and getting it in traffic um so a team that, that this is by the way been like the central reason that I've, I've considered Memphis scary because they're amazing yeah, offensive they do. yeah uh, if a team can really kind of cl- crash the glass weak side and um, just really kind of physically push the Warriors around I wonder how much they can really play small um, with Wiggins at the four uh, we know Draymond can do it at the five but like a big part of that is getting your three and your four man to be kind of effective on the glass as well and Clay and Clay at the three, and Wiggins at the four. I mean, it's just it's it's a lot different than um, Harrison Barnes and Prime Andre Iguodala.
2: Offensive rebounding is so huge for Denver, and the Jokic era, they've been top three every single season in offensive rebound percentage, except mm-hmm. for this year, where I think they're fifteenth or sixteenth. And the reason I think that they're so low is that again, it's that spacing. Teams are just not stretched out against them, so they have more guys that get to sort of sit in the paint and a better chance there. And that would be my question because I'm with you. If Denver could really hit the offensive glass in this series, I think it gives them a huge advantage. Jeff Green is worse than Andrew Wiggins in terms of rebounding. He just doesn't ever go to the glass, right. offensive or defensive. And then you start to talk about the guys that could help you out there. You're you're talking about Michael Green. You're going to be too big if he's on the court. You're talking about Zeke Naji, who I think in theory he would be a guy that's very intriguing because he's a 40% three point shooter and he's big and he can move out on the perimeter. He's a very high IQ young player, but he got hurt. Uh, a month and a half ago and just hasn't played he played in this last game that was the first time and i feel like it's one of those sneaky it's not going to turn the series but it's one of those ones that i think would have given denver another option in this series
1: that i would be shocked this is the hipster take i wanted oh the hipster here we go the guy guy who's got a combined 83 nba games in 1000 minutes (laughs) obviously i'm pulling up his basketball yeah this is the guy who's swinging the series huh
2: Yeah. I mean, again, he's a rookie player that was on track this year. He had a lot of minutes under his belt and it was on track to be um, like bones is, you know, a guy that was going to just be in the rotation and like, okay, let's see what happens. But he just missed the last six weeks, seven weeks or something of the season. So it, um, just another one bites the dust. Denver, by the way, didn't even fill out the, in a lot of ways, I feel like Denver punted on their season. They have a Davon Reed who is a six foot six with a seven foot wingspan right? really interesting player that easily would have been in the rotation this year if they would have just converted him and they didn't and i don't think there's a reason why they didn't other than like yeah we're not going to win what are we doing save a little money save Save a little (laughs) saving a lot of money these days those cronkies
1: So give me the case for Denver winning this, actually extending this series, getting it to like a game seven, maybe winning the series. Give me the case for that happening that doesn't involve like bodies falling left and right. Right, right. Because that's just not fun to talk about.
2: Well, I don't think this is like a no hope series for Denver in large part just because, so like I know we're kind of framing it that way. I think the Warriors are heavy favorites and rightfully so, and Denver is just a solvable team. But the case is, it starts with, Jokic was the MVP this season and there were so many nights where it was like Denver just need they are down 10 points in the fourth quarter. What are we going to do? And Jokic scores 16 straight points. I mean, he went to a level this year where it was just absolutely absurd um, in his individual dominance, just shooting through double and triple teams. The game that always pops up in my head is the one against the Clippers. What was on ESPN where it ended with that skip pass to uh, Aaron Gordon in the quarter. But before that pass, Jokic just decided not to pass for the last like six minutes and just to barrel to the basket and score. And I can't remember what it did. I think he had like 17 in the fourth and another 12 in the overtime or something like that. He just, the the case would be if he, that wasn't just a hot streak or something. If he has that sort of gear that he just stays in now every second he's on the court. And again, this is what happened with Giannis last year. He got to the point where it was like, why don't I just like, play aggressive like I'm trying to kill the guy guarding me every single second, and it works. If Jokic has that in him this year, the series can get interesting just from a – they don't the Warriors don't have a guy that can guard him. Jokic is not really his nature to do that for 48 minutes, but maybe this is the series where he just says, you know what, I'm going for 50 every night. I'm going to try to foul out Draymond. I'm just going to force the issue and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, my case for Denver making this interesting and taking it deep starts with like – Steph being on a minutes restriction the Warriors kind of messing around not knowing who they are Denver keeps the game close and knows how they want to play to close out a game which is just give it to Jokic and get out of the way whereas the Warriors are unsure what they want to do and next thing you know it's 2-2 going into game five that would be that'd be my case for it I think that's definitely in the cards um to happen but um well, I guess that's why. We, go ahead. Go, go with more of these like sort of uncertainties. So let's say, you know,
2: Steph does play in game one, but he actually is hobbled quite a bit. And so you play him, but he just misses everything. He's like an over eight sort of because he's on one leg and it's not quite as healthy as everybody anticipated. Maybe Denver steals one and you get to a point where, okay, you split, you come back to Denver and Denver wins another one just from being at home, you know, whatever. And if it's like a game four, Murray comes back. I just wonder if those are the types of things that cause the scouting report. Usually a series, every team kind of figures out and by game four or five, everybody knows exactly what it is. This is a game that could hit a reset from a strategic standpoint halfway through it. And that's just a variance, uh, just a variable there that maybe extends the underdog's odds of, hey, just throw a chaos grenade right into the middle of the series and see if they maybe... Hey, we're going to make Murray prove it to us. And he does, or, Hey, we can't let this guy go off. And they overextend. And all of a sudden another guy goes off. That would be another possibility.
1: And that's why I think from a warrior's perspective, Jordan Poole remains the most interesting subplot to this entire series, because if Steph is back, it's been insinuated Poole will probably be the one who gets sent to the bench. Yeah. Um, you know, because they absolutely need Wiggins out there to shut down Jeff Green. You know, this is the team where you need your wing do they, more than anything. Do they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, and if you – the Warriors are at their best when Pool's playing next to Steph. If he's coming off of the bench or splitting them, we don't know if Poole can get up to 35, 36 minutes coming off the bench. It's just hard to do when you're sitting the first six minutes of the half. They either yeah. – either Steve's going to bring him in at the halfway point of the first quarter and just let him ride the whole first half, or he's going to get subbed out a second time. And all of a sudden you're at halftime and he's only played about 12 or 13 minutes. Um, Those are like the little things that might end up making this a lot closer than it needs to be, you know, quotation marks in hand there, Uh, particularly when we don't know what Steph's going to look like or anything. So I just, I just wonder if the fact that the Warriors don't have, A clear set pecking order, and the coach maybe doesn't always trust the guy who should probably be out there the most next to his core guys if they don't get themselves into a little trouble early in the series. I mean,
2: that's definitely part of the formula. I mean, Denver has to punch early before the Warriors really figure this thing out. And that's why it's so funny how the Warriors are talking about it as a tune up because they're right. The thing is, you have to make it not a tune up. It's a tune up when you're comfortable and you have this lead, and it's like, okay, we're figuring things out. But if you punch first and win, in a way that that puts a little bit of doubt there, then I think you're right. Those questions of identity, what, who is Jordan pulled to this team now that everybody's back? Those questions become a little bit more real. Again, when you're the underseed and you're as shorthanded as Denver is, you have to kind of look for those types of silver linings. I don't really see it, but um, it is the path. Let me ask you this one though. DeMarcus Cousins has made a big impact. I know the backup center becomes less and less important, but the Warriors play small. They just go to the small unit and DeMarcus Cousins is enormous. Is, are they going to cook in your opinion? Are they just going to cook him out on the perimeter since he's like half as quick as Jokic is, or is he going to just feast inside on Bielitsa or whoever it is they try to roll out there?
1: I mean, yeah, their, their plan will be, let's run him off the court and let's make him, you know, get a screen for Jordan Poole If he's out there, get a screen for Steph, right. make make him garden space. Uh, they don't really have an, a better option. Like what, what is the alternative, like play into Boogie's hands and make him effective? Like, right. they're not yeah. supposed to do that thing. They've they've leaned into this small ball identity all year. I mean, it's always kind of been the staple of the Warriors, but they've always carried a bunch of centers so they could play other styles. For better or worse, they're just like, why bother? Let's why just, bother let's right just be that team. Even if it's uh, Bielitsa, who's a defensive liability himself, he's – he does everything they want offensively from a center. You know, he can play make a little bit, he can shoot the ball a little bit, he can, he can handle the ball on the perimeter, they can get him in dribble handoffs on the three-point line, keep the paint open. Next thing you know, Gary Payton the second is cutting for right. a weak side dunk. So I just kind of think that's gonna be how they handle it. And they'll take their chances. If if Demarcus Cousins, if they can't run Boogie off the court, um, that is <laughs> that is a bigger problem for like it's let's so just, say, but that's just that's just telling me they're not getting stops or right. their guards are turning it over nonstop. Both of which need to be things that they need to do if they want to win. What about a zone? How, how do teams even attempt
2: a zone against the Warriors?
1: Not really. I mean, this team has this is probably the most shooting they've ever carried. Um, right the liability with them is, is shot creation. There's really only two guys who can do that. So the teams that have given them issues when they've been healthy have been teams who can really switch everything. So like the Clippers, <laughs> even like the zombie Clippers yeah. have, have been some somewhat of a matchup problem. Yeah. I think Minnesota, uh, who they wouldn't, um, right. you know, who, who's playing uh, Memphis could be difficult for them just because they got so many, like, six, nine guys who, like, I don't know if they really know what they're doing half the time, but, like, they are very physical on the perimeter with the way they do it. Like, those type of teams would give the Warriors issues. Um Denver, uh, probably not so much on the defensive end. It's more about, like, you know, if it turns into a the Warriors not defending and trading baskets game, then it's dangerous. Right, right. We'll see. I think Denver's going to
2: try a zone in large part because they just can't guard. <laughs> I mean, they, they really I don't know what Denver's defensive upside is in this series because they they just have no perimeter containment. And of course Yoke's not a um a rim protector, but he's teams just are always running downhill at Jokic.
1: Right. I mean it- that's that's another reason that I, I mean I keep going back to this point. It's another reason they should start Jordan Poole and try to set the tempo and not even let mm. it get to like Game Four where it's like okay we're gonna make the starting lineup change uh, because the thing that you know could hurt us did hurt us you know it's like why even bother just take it to Denver and quote unquote try to put them out of their misery early. <laughs> but that's just kind of that's not how that's not how Steve Kerr's ever operated in any yeah. playoff series. He's just had more veteran and kind of proven teams in this. Yeah. We'll see. I'm not too
2: optimistic, but I am curious. I mean, Jokic has been this good though, that this, the one thing I just kind of like am still in on the series and why I'm still intrigued is you've seen this obviously watching stuff all these years. I just Jokic does things every now and then against all the odds that I'm like, that was pretty awesome. Um, so I, I expect there to be at least one or two games of that in this series. Even if, you know, even if Denver does get swept or whatever, I, there's just going to be one or two games where Jokic kind of does something that you, you kind of just nod along with. But maybe he has even more in the tank for this run.
1: Let's end on the most important questions here. Will the Jokic brothers make an appearance at Chase Center? And who will they threaten to fight? It's a great one. You know, what's funny is they're not, they're like, so such intense
2: people, but I don't think they're like, they're not like, it's funny because it's the, who they have the beef with, but they're not like the Morris twins who are constantly <laughs> looking for their next like person to hate, you know, right. they're, they're this is why their Twitter account that they started was so great was they didn't actually make a threat. They just said, it's in your best interest not to continue this. <laughs> like, you know, like, Hey, we want you to stop because if you don't, then, then we have to start. So I don't think they're going to have a problem with any, like Draymond plays physical and every now and then kicks people in the nuts or whatever, but I don't it's think they been care like about like a that. decade since that happened. It's been yeah. a decade. I, but I don't think they, like, those are the things that offend them. I think they, they like that style of saying The like Jokic himself likes a more physical game or whatever and respects mm-hmm. it. So I don't think there's anybody that hateable. Over there, Bielitsa Elites is of course a Serbian, so he's gonna be a fellow Serb. They're not gonna hate him. I don't know. I don't think I have any anybody- that would be
1: that would be a real wild card, really throw <laughs> the whole thing off. Um I just I'm I'm just envisioning them sitting courtside or, or like you know, where like players' family sit, which is like right above courtside, usually like to the side, oh. glaring at Joe Lacob. Could be a really great <laughs> vision, could be a really good visual, you know, a little uncomfortable down there for the Silicon Valley tech types. I just can't see
2: it, man. Not this series. There's a lot. Of, I, I, w- I always ask myself this going into a playoff series because, you know, like Portland's a great example of this where I had no thoughts about the Portland Trailblazers. You go into a contentious series with them and you're kind of like, man, I hate these people. You know, like, right. I hate this, this fan base is the most annoying fan base in the world or whatever. I don't know if we'll get there with the Warriors. We might, um, you know, most series do end with that in some capacity, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it'll, I don't know if it'll feel that contentious.
1: Yeah, we may, we might have to wait for another series to see where the real the real fights start. I think um, I think Philly Toronto has oh, yeah. a chance to potentially be that series. Like I'm looking at the first round series. I think that's my my front runner for oh, where no. there will be the most beef. Oh no, you're so wrong on this. There's an obvious answer. It's Minnesota Memphis.
2: The beef oh, started. It started yeah. at the final buzzer of the play in game. Those two teams hate each other. They're both young. They both just want to talk so much trash, and I promise you, every single game, the the winner is going to be giving an earful. That that one will lead the the
1: playoffs in technical. I can already see Beverly doing something towards John the first quarter of that game that gets everyone up in arms. So yes, you are correct. That is going to be <laughs> actually. Let me let me look which game tips off first. That'll be the real. I I, I think I think we're going to get something with with uh, Toronto and Philly though.
2: Yeah, we could. Denver doesn't have enough, like, edgy – Faku would have been that guy who comes in the series and, like, rolls on Jokic's – or Curry's ankle, but he's – Please he, no, but yes. Yeah, I know, but he he's, like, not even in the rotation, and I can't imagine – his last – the last game of the season, I'm sure you saw the push to the back. Yeah. Like, this is the same thing, by the way, when Markeith Morris took the hit from Jokic. It was – all the, the Heat players were, like – Yeah, like, I wish he wouldn't have done that, but I kind of get it. Like, they kind of all had this. And I think the (laughs) biggest players were, even Michael Malone afterwards were like, yeah, it's unfortunate, but, you know, he got thrown out. So they just like didn't fully have his back. You know, they're just kind of like, damn, Faku, what the hell? (laughs)
1: and and kept it moving the i'm surprised this doesn't happen to you more often response from the team yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly exactly we have your back by not saying
2: anything basically (laughs) exactly exactly so i would be shocked if faku plays although i would say that if i was a warriors fan i would i would be terrified of every second he was on the court not because he's going to lock up Steph, but because he's kind of a lunatic
1: No, those have always been the guys that have bothered me the most. I mean, there there was Del Vidova diving at legs all the time. Um, Ricky Rubio, who's just a significantly superior player to all the guys we're thinking about, he also would always dive at steps. Yeah. I mean, he just kind of, yeah, he plays, he just, I don't know. That's the way he plays. Obviously, Beverly comes to mind. A little um, zo- xenophobia for me. At least you got Beverly
2: in there. You're just naming foreign foreign <laughs> guards here. Wow. Sam. I was just I was
1: just thinking about that as I was saying. I was like, okay, I'm I'm going down the wrong road here. <laughs> now, um, hey Adam, I appreciate you stopping by. It's going to be a good series. Anytime, man. Tell uh, Warrior fans where they can find your stuff if they want to hear the enemy this week.
2: <laughs> the DNVR Nuggets postgame show off, live from the DNVR bar, of course, uh, after every game is always fun. Um, that, that would be the place if you're looking to try to, like, don't hop in the chat, though. Light years, people. Come on, man. Don't be the asshole that's, like, always there just trying to troll. Just enjoy. <laughs> if you know the Nuggets lose, you can just enjoy the tears um, in your own peace.
1: All right. I appreciate that. Thank <sighs> you.